there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because those who belong to him have been set free. The power of the life-giving spirit has set them free from the power of sin that leads to death. For the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, so God did what that law could not do. He sent his son in a body, in a body like we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And because of that, the just requirement of the law has been fully satisfied for us who do not follow the sinful nature, but we follow the spirit. Now, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your mind is controlled by the sinful nature, it will lead to all kind of forms of death, but if your mind is controlled by the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. Those who are under the control of the sinful nature, they cannot please God, but you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And remember that if the Spirit of Christ does not live in you, you do not belong to God at all, but Christ does live in you. And because of this, even though you're going to die because of sin, the Spirit's going to bring life to your body because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And the same God, just as God, raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He's going to bring life and breathe life to your mortal body because of the Spirit who lives in you. All right, therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, there is no reason for you to feel obligated to follow the urges of your sinful nature. Because if you follow them, if you give in to them, if you listen to the sinful nature and you give in to its dictates, you will die, often a very slow kind of death. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. Those who follow the Spirit and who are led by the Spirit, they are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit, they are children of God. Um, so uh, you have not received... You've not received the spirit that makes you into a fearful slave. Instead, you have received God's spirit when you were adopted, when God adopted you as his very own children. It's because of this, the church can look up to God today and we can say, Abba, Father, because it was God's spirit that joined with our spirit to declare and to affirm that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are heirs of God which means that together with Christ, we become co-heirs, like co-laborers, co-partners, and we get a share in God's glory. But here's where Romans 8 throws me for a loop. Because if you get a share in God's glory, you must also share in Christ's suffering. Yet the present suffering that you are facing today, and I'm sure there's a lot of it in this room, the present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that God will reveal later. In fact, all of creation is waiting for the day when God will reveal his children for who they really are because against its own will, the creation was subjected to. Creation came under God's curse. So creation has been waiting eagerly with eager hope for the day that it will join all of God's children to be released from death and decay. There's going to be liberation from death and decay. All of creation has been groaning like in the pains of childbirth up to this present day. And we also groan because we groan, uh, even though the Holy Spirit lives within us, who is a foretaste of our future glory, we groan because we want to be released from sin and suffering. And we have eager hope in us because we look forward to the day when God's going to give us the full rights 
is God's adopted children, which includes new bodies, which God has promised for us. This is a promise you received when you were saved. And here's how it often goes. If you already have something, you don't hope for it. But if you were looking forward to something you do not yet have, you wait for it patiently and confidently. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. But there are a lot of times you don't even know what to pray for. You don't know what God wants you to pray for. But it's the Spirit who prays with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. And it's our Father who knows all of our hearts, who also knows what the Spirit is praying Because the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's will for us. And what you also know is that God is working everything together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes for them. For God chose His people. He chose His people in advance to be like His Son so that His Son could be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those whom God chose. God called to come to Him. And those God called... He gave right standing with himself. And those in whom God has given right standing with himself, God has given his glory. So what should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God was, if he was not, if he was willing to give up his own son for us, what makes you think God's not going to give us everything else? So who can bring an accusation against God's chosen people? The answer is no one because we've been made right with God. Who can condemn us? And the answer is no one because Christ died for us. He lives for us. And right now he is at the right hand of God in the place of honor pleading for us. So who shall separate us from the love of God? Does it mean God doesn't love us when we go through trouble and heartache and brokenness and when we experience, when we are destitute or lonely, when we're hungry and danger or threatened with death? The scripture says that because of God, it is like we are dying every single day. We are like sheep being led to the slaughter. But the answer is no. That there is overwhelming victory that has been given to us because of Christ who loves us. So nothing, I'm convinced today, nothing could ever separate us from the love of God, not death or life, angels or demons, not your fears from today or your worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There is nothing in the sky above or on the earth below. There is nothing in all of creation that could ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stand up. Uh, Jumping into a series today in Romans chapter 8. I've been looking forward to this series for about a year. It was about a month ago I decided I, I just wanted to memorize Romans 8 for myself. Uh, and I wanted you to hear Romans 8 in its entirety. So we're not just picking it apart and doing a few verses here and then building on that the next week. Because Romans 8, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture talks about our condition, who we are, what God has done, and I I really look forward to this series. But this whole process of me trying to memorize 39 verses in a chapter, like the rest of life didn't slow down for me to do this. And this became a, a, a really emotional experience for me because I'm sure there may be someone who leaves today and they're like, Josh just wanted to show off that he can recite scripture and hopefully the majority of you know that that is not my motives or intentions in life. 
you deserve a preacher who spends time in the Word of God to where I don't just know Scripture. More importantly, it gets to know me. It dissects me. And the more I have quoted and read through and have memorized Romans 8, it has ripped me open, like stripped me down, has laid things bare. And my discipline is I would come in this room and I would just take a, you know, a little paragraph from Romans 8 and I would start in the back and I would pace through all the pews until God had it in my mind and from my mind that it was in my heart and it was having its way with me and then I would come back in at another time and I would try to build on that and as God often does and I don't know if I'm just a little tired this morning or, or it, I want to believe it's the spirit working in my life I'm just I'm a little emotional because what would happen is I was pacing through this room I would come to certain pews where I'm in the word hearing about how creation is eager to join all of God's people to be released from death and decay or to be released from sin and suffering. And I would be at a pew where I know Betty Litton sits and has lost a husband recently or Tara Nelms has lost a father or Tamarie and where his family would sit. And, and I was just hearing this and how many people here have this groaning in you to be released from death, decay, sin and suffering. I, I know people here who struggle with shame and that Romans 8, 1 begins with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, so I look forward to diving into this with you. I want to make mention next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we are having a special worship service. It is in conjunction with the book that came out. Hey, by the way, those five, are there five people? I think there are five people who are helping me in the sermon. Will you go ahead and make your way up to the front? There should be a few guys and a few girls. And as they're coming up, um, so next Sunday at six o'clock. This is not an opportunity for us to come together and to worship my book. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to have an extended time of worship about who the God of reentry and reengagement is. We're going to have a focused prayer time next Sunday night. I do have a friend, Luke Norsworthy. He has a well-known podcast. It's called Newsworthy with Norsworthy, and he's going to be here that night. Go ahead and come up here on stage. He's going to be here that night, and we're going to do a live podcast. This is an event that I'm asking you to bring people who you know, who have either gone through or they are currently going through seasons of darkness and brokenness. Because what we're going to do next Sunday night is we're going we're gonna to celebrate the God who walks us through all forms of darkness. My book will be available to purchase later on that night. $10 for one, $50 for two, because I like doing discounts, all right? Um, hey, put your hands together and thank these volunteers who came up on the stage with me. <clears throat> All right. Uh, hey, y'all kind of move over right here, okay? Because uh, <laughs> they have no clue what I'm about to do. All right. Um, I want to help lay a foundation for the book of Romans for you because Romans 8 needs to be read in the, like the cultural context, historical context of what was going on. This is, many argue that Romans is like the most laid out theological book in all the New Testament. It's uh, Paul wrote it. There are very few people who dispute that. But let's start out with this. Demetrius, you come right up here, all right? You're going to be Emperor Claudius today. So y'all say what's up to Emperor Claudius. Now, Claudius was, <laughs> I mean, Claudius, he was, he was clumsy. He, he was a coward, all right? I, I didn't pick you for this reason, all right? But he was clumsy. He was a coward. In fact, many people didn't think Claudius would amount to anything as a kid. He had some ailments, he had some setbacks, and it's probably what saved his life because there were a lot of people who were in the families of emperors that if they seemed to be a threat to the throne, they would, they would kill them. So maybe his clumsiness and cowardice kept him alive, all right? 
Claudius ended up gaining favor with people. He was ambitious. He became a person who, he loved history. He loved law. In fact, when he became emperor in AD 41, and he was emperor for about 13 years, uh, he loved law so much that he would oversee about 20 cases every single day because he loved to hear people and to try to speak Roman law into their life and try to make decisions based on that. And I'll get a little more to Claudius. Let's scoot over just a moment, all right? Uh, you want to come up? You're going to be next. You ready? And then we had Jews. You're going to be a Jew this morning, all right? So say hi to Emperor Claudius, and this is our Jew. And, the, and Jews lived in Rome. About forty to 50,000 Jews lived in Rome about the time of Emperor Claudius. There have been times throughout Roman history in the, the past 150 years before that that Jews have been kicked out of Rome for certain reasons. But forty to 50,000, probably 5%, Rome was thought to be around a million people who lived in the city of Rome. So about 5% of them were Jews. And then there were Jews who came to know Jesus, so there were some Christians who were Jews. And these Jews who were Christians in Rome became really passionate about their message, so they start sharing with pagans and with Romans. So the Jews began leading... Here, you come up here. Ready? They, the Jews began leading Gentiles to faith. All right, so Gentiles didn't know much about the story of God. They knew really nothing about it. So the Jews are sharing Jesus with Gentiles. Gentiles are becoming a part of the church. Can you get down on your knees real quick? All right, you're way too tall for this illustration. So, <laughs> I, but here's the deal. This is so important, all right? The Jews were bringing Gentiles into the church, but the Jews still had Jewish traditions. And the church was led by Jews because the Gentiles were babes in the faith. They didn't really know much about the story of God. So think about it. The church becomes Jew-Gentile, and there were numerous churches in Rome, but basically Jewish leadership, Jewish traditions, all right, Jewish ways of the songs they would sing. They were Jewish songs, Jewish customs. And there was a rub sometimes when they are bringing these Gentiles into the church Yet, they are also sometimes saying, well, hey, here's, here's how the Jews do things. You need to start doing things like the Jews. You see how this can be a problem sometimes? All right, now, let me get back to Claudius. Y'all stay put. You good down there? You okay? All right, all right. Let's get back to Claudius because Claudius was a womanizer, all right? Uh, <laughs> nobody, point, nobody point fingers, okay? In his 13 years as the emperor, Claudius was married four times. He was also betrothed two other times, one time to his niece, and that didn't end up going into a marriage, all right? And another time, his fiance died the day of their wedding, all right? So four, four marriages, I mean, just going through in 13 years. And his last marriage, come on up here, can you come up? Yeah, no, you, yeah. <laughs> all right, scoot over just a little bit. Was to Agrippina, all right? This was Claudius's niece. This was the last marriage. Okay, sorry. All right. So he married his niece. So though they were in Rome, I think we all can tell they really were raised in Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri. All right. Uh, just joking. That was funny, wasn't it? That was funny. I, now, Agrippina had a son from a former relationship. Come here, Nero. All right. And her son was, was Nero. So Claudius not only married his niece Agrippina, he also ended up adopting Nero as his own son, all right? Uh, now, Claudius got really upset when the Jews started leading Gentiles to Jesus because Claudius didn't care, and most emperors didn't care if there were other religions in Rome. It was they didn't want you to proselytize. They didn't want you to lead. So in AD 49, Claudius boots the Jews out of Rome. Bye, go to the back. You're gone, all right? 
kicks him out. So now you can stand up, bro. Okay. All right. So then what was a Jewish-led church now predominantly becomes a Gentile-led church. For five years, all right, they are the leaders. They are holding on to the teachings of Jesus, but the Gentiles are also like, man, there were some of those things that they were doing that were like Jewish traditions that don't matter anymore. But then what happened in AD 54 is Agrippina was a feminist, all right? Put your arm, like, show me a muscle, all right? She was all, she wanted to marry Claudius because she thought, man, one day he's going to die and then I'm going to let my, my son Nero become emperor and when this happens, I will be able, <laughs> I'll be able to call the shot. So here's what happened in AD 54. Someone served up some mushrooms to Claudius. Claudius loved mushrooms but they were poison, all right? There are a few stories that debate this, but most stories are Claudius was poisoned and Claudius dies. So, dude, you're dead. You're gone. So, Mr. Nero becomes emperor in AD 54. In AD 54, Nero's like, you know what? There was really no reason for those Jews to be kicked out of Rome. Let's bring them back in. So, Jews come back into Rome, all right? And then you guys kind of fade to the back, all right? Fade to the back, fade to the back, go. All right, now, look, five years later, Jews come back into Rome, and they begin to reconnect with the church. Five years have gone by. So now for five years, it's been Jewish-led church. I mean, Gentile-led church. Gentiles aren't really taking care or honoring some of those Jewish traditions. Can you see conflict that's about to happen in the church? Because the Jews come back in, and they're like, you're singing Hillsong United and Bethel? We didn't used to do that. You're not singing the songs we taught you to sing. You're not honoring some of the Jewish stuff that, that, that we used to honor. So now that, here, y'all, y'all like face each other, okay? Like in the boxing match when they're at the press conference, you know, they're about to go down. Because you got the Jew who's like, what are you doing? Like, this is our story. It's gone on for thousands of years. You're only five years old in the faith. And the Gentiles who are like, you know, well, and if it's because of your rebellion that we were allowed in. So they're just, you can see how it's going back and forth. So Paul writes the book of Romans because of this right here. The easiest thing Paul could have done would have been to say, hey, Jews, you go do your church over there with the Jews. And Gentiles, you go do your church over there with the Gentiles. And maybe once a year, do a potluck together and shake hands and be nice if you ever see each other throughout Rome. But instead, Paul knew Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead to bring together a church of Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, male and female, to come together into a church. They're grafted into the same story. So Paul lays out the book of Romans to talk to people about sanctification, justification, and what it means to be the church. All right, thank my five people who came on up. Thank you, guys. Jim and Fawn have a check for you. You can get it later on, okay? Uh, And I I think this is the backdrop that helps Romans 8 make sense. Because when you have conflict, and in Romans 14, Paul talks a lot about conflict. He talks about the weaker brother. Because what Paul realizes is the way the church treats each other and even how the church disagrees with one another, that disagreement bleeds into the church's reputation among the community and the lost and people outside. So how you come together in unity makes a difference. So Romans 8.1 is, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which the Jews needed to hear and the Gentiles needed to hear. 
Because anyone who is carrying shame into a community, if that shame is not put in its rightful place, which is at the foot of the cross, then it can bleed into relationships. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are five things, and I want you to write these down because we're going to unpack some of these themes over the next few weeks. There's five of them. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. But here are some five themes in Romans 8. And if you're in a life group or small group, I've I've asked you today, if you get together, to read through Romans 8, either individually or together as a group, to think through some of these things themes. Pray through them. Here are five of them. Number one, there is the theme of the faithfulness of God. When we suffer, when we are persecuted, when things don't seem to be going right, what is it we are banking on? So Romans 8 and the book of Romans talks a lot about the faithfulness of God. When you are going through trouble, can you trust in the faithfulness of God? Can you trust God? Do you believe God's love is for you? So we're going to talk some about the faithfulness of God. Number two, the law is a really big deal in Romans 8. It's a big deal in all of Romans. And I know the law is not a word we like to use a lot now, all right, because sometimes we struggle with obedience. We're going to talk some about the law. I'm not going to take another word to replace the word law. We're going to talk about the law and how Paul thinks about the law. Because if you're a Jew, it was really easy for you to interpret the law as, here's the law of God, and now I'm going to earn the favor of God by how I try to obey the law. And this doesn't just happen with the Jews. It happens to a lot of us. Some of you were raised in a church culture where works-based righteousness was placed on you. It was what you do and what you don't do that you were earning the favor of God instead of living from the grace of the favor of God. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about this, about the law and about how people try to achieve the favor of God by how they practice obedience, which can sometimes become forms of legalism. Number three, we're going to talk about what God has accomplished through Jesus. I, I love at the very beginning of chapter 8 and verse 2 and 3 where uh, it talks about how God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body, in a body like we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Um, in that word there in chapter 8 verse 3, it is this word that, uh, of what God did in Jesus, of, that he became, he, he stepped into this body like we have. It is, it's the complete identification with human nature. It's complete identification with humanity. For Jesus, it wasn't just complete identification with the good of humanity. It was also complete identification with the sinful nature. That when Jesus went to the cross, he took upon his body the sin of the world. He became the sin of the world, sinful nature. So we're going to talk about what God has accomplished through Jesus and what that means for us and what it means for the community. Number four, we're going to talk about the Spirit. Uh, If my memory is correct, I think 22 times in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And in verse 9 and 14, it is about possession. It's the same word in the Gospels that talks about demon possession. But in the Gospels, when you were possessed by something, often it was negative. It was being possessed by demons. Here, it is being possessed by something that is good. And it's not so much you possessing the Spirit as the Spirit possesses you. Uh, So we're going to talk about the Spirit and what it means to be led by the Spirit. And number five, it's sin and death. There's this rub. There is this tension. There is friction. This happens throughout all of Romans. Romans 7 is where you have a passage in which Paul says, 
what I don't want to do, I do. And what I do want to do, I don't do. That there's this rub and this tension. And, and here's why I think this is so important. And we're going to talk about this quite a bit over the next few weeks. It's because many in you, of you in here right now, you find yourself in bondage, imprisoned by certain sins or unhealthy emotions. Yet you also are here in this room believing that you have been liberated from those same sins and unhealthy emotions. All right, and, and this is why the church is so important because a lot of times, maybe some of you, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you are overwhelmed or overburdened by some of the sin in your life or the things that are holding you captive. Yet we come to church to remind each other that we have already been liberated from the sin that we are going through. So what we need to do in church is to be able to sing songs and take communion, looking at those around us, praying for those around us that that we will live into the freedom that is already, already ours. You have been liberated because of what God has done through Jesus. So there is this rub between sinful nature and the spirit, between death and life, and we're going to talk about it. And ultimately, all of chapter 8 leads to this point where it is the love of God. It's the Shema. It is the love that the Jews knew abided in God and the Gentiles embody this because this love is not just something you talk about, it's something you live. That ultimately when you understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God, this isn't just about your status, it's now we have a story to share with the world. And we want to share this story so people are drawn into this story as well. Last Sunday I, I was preaching at the, the Vaughn Park Church uh, in Montgomery and it wasn't until I was there I reminded myself that I, I told myself a few years ago I was never going to preach at a church in Montgomery during football season again. It's crazy down there, all right? That was a church that had mostly Auburn fans, and they had just lost to Georgia the night before. And it was like a grief service for just a little while. You know, it's like, Jesus rose from the dead. It's like, yeah, Auburn lost, though. Okay, you know, but no one, no one here ever suffers from that kind of stuff, right? Um, <clears throat> I was, I was preaching there. They invited me in. They were having a friend day, and they wanted me to come in and talk about what it means to be a church that tries to live for the community. Like, how do we believe that the church gives up home field advantage, and we go out, and we, we want to be the light of Christ all over the place? So I went in, and I, I talked three times in one day. And at the end of the last talk, I offered this invitation, and a 73-year-old woman in that church came forward. Came forward to say that for years in her life, she had become apathetic and she had been living for herself and for only those close to her. And she wanted the prayers of the church for he to, her to be more courageous and brave to share Jesus with people in her neighborhood and any context she found herself in. And I know people in this church who are around that same age who would say the same thing. And I hope when I'm 73 years old, I'm standing in front of a church somewhere saying, hey, will you pray for me? Because I know God's not through with me yet, and I may not have the mobility I used to have, but the energy I still have, I want to use it to spread the love of God anywhere and any way I can. When I think about that nothing can separate us from the love of God, a story comes to mind of, so my dad's a preacher too. He's been preaching over 30 years. And for a long time, my dad and I would talk before church uh, but then later on in the afternoon, I would call my mom to get details about how the morning went because my dad doesn't do details. And there was one day I called my mom in the afternoon, and the moment she answered, I could tell she was choked up and she was crying. And she said, let me tell you a story of what just happened at our church. 
it was a day that they, um, it was a, a, a day that teens were raising money for mission trips and work camps. We do this, it, like at Fiesta, where we auction off cakes and, and merchandise and things. Uh, they did that too, but that day what they did for their church was they were auctioning off their teenagers. So the guys and girls would stand up at a microphone in front of the church and would say, I'm good for mowing the yard or babysitting or clean a house or, or any of this, and then people would bid on them, and then they would have to do chores for the people. And almost every teenager was going for around $250 to $300. And after every teen went who could go, there was one girl who stood up and she started making her way down the aisle. And she was a girl who would, she was unable to go to a church camp, mission trip, work camp. She was a 14-year-old girl in that church who had Down syndrome. And she walked all the way up to the front and stood in front of the church. And she stood up at the microphone and people didn't know what she was going to say because There were a lot of things these other kids said they could do that this girl could not do. She stood up at the microphone. There was a hush that came over the crowd, and she started to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. Got halfway through the song, and she forgot the lyrics, and the youth minister went and knelt down beside her, and together they finished the song, Jesus Loves Me. The first bid for that girl went for $500. Because the church realized that day that this girl who some people thought did not have much to offer became the greatest minister in that church. She had one shot, step up at a mic, and she chose to sing about the love of Jesus. You may not have a microphone in your face this week, but you're going to be given opportunities to share and to declare and to model the love of God in your life. Who's going to be your one person that you're going to model that to? Who's the person in your life who needs to know about the light of God or the love of God? And are you willing to pray with God of how God's leading you to be some kind of light and salt for that person? For the shepherds and for prayer leaders, will you go to your places where you are positioned and stationed? We're about to sing a couple of songs, both for prayer, but also to prepare us for communion this morning. And I invite you to take advantage of some of these places. If there's shame in your life and you need to be released from it, there are places you can go. If there are just prayers that you want people to pray for you around this room or people who are willing to pray for you and people who are willing just to offer up a groan because we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit can offer up prayers that we can't even express. So can we stand together this morning? And Let me pray and then we're going to sing a couple of songs. And if you're willing where you are and comfortable, just open your hands where you are just to receive from the Lord this morning. God, I pray that you will declare this morning over us there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Place in front of us the beauty and the power of your spirit. May we run into your spirit, into the power of the resurrection of Jesus with everything we have, and will you press into us. And God, if there's anything I've said today that has not honored your heart, your mission, your nature, let it fall to the ground and not be remembered and bear no fruit. But if I've spoken anything today that honors who you are, may it sink deep into hearts and may it bear great fruit this week to the glory of the name of Jesus.